You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning. If this is your first time at Grace, we're so glad you chose to worship with us today. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace, and I wanted to mention uh, a very special prayer request before we get started. We just found out a few minutes ago, James Staley uh, is going to the hospital this morning with some significant pain, uh, and they're checking that out. Today's Margaret's birthday, so we want to be praying for James and Margaret and Myra and Neil, the whole family, um, as James gets checked out this morning. A couple other things I just wanted to mention that go right along with the body life that we were talking about this morning. Um, First, the Christmas gathering tonight at 5.30. Please be here. Even if you haven't planned to come, find a way to get here. Home groups, you're bringing either sweets or savories, and you know by now what you're bringing. It'll be good eating and just wonderful time together. I was thinking about it coming over. just, Just imagine that we were persecuted and our only lifeline uh, was with one another. Just imagine how important it would be to get together, but it's kind of like, eh, take it or leave it. Nah, no big deal. Make it a big deal tonight at 5.30. If you bring in food, get here at 5.15. I will be here at 5.16 to test the food, so... You can be assured that it'll be good, kind of like the King's Cupbearer, you know. And then Wednesday night, 6.30, one of the ways that we keep unity in our church body is annual church meeting. I love the sound of those words together, annual church meeting. It's a big deal, though. Please be here uh, at 6.30 on Wednesday night, and you will find out that a whole lot of people have participated in this budget process, so... We'll uh, be approving that um, Wednesday night. Well, if you were here last week, you enjoyed a a wonderful message on the songs of Christmas from David Calvert. Uh, We learned a whole lot and we rejoiced a lot. And David talked about the appropriate time to begin listening to Christmas carols. There are a lot of different Christmas music, a lot of different ideas about that. I just want to clear it up for you. When the state fair rolls out of town mid to late October, that's the time to begin listening to Christmas music. It's okay from that point on. Now, if you want to criticize that kind of a a calendar, may I ask you how bad is it to sing songs about the Incarnation? Is that what I'm, I'm hearing you say? You don't want to sing songs about... Well, I know it's not the songs about Jesus' birth that give you so much trouble. It's the songs about Rudolph and Santa is watching and rocking around the Christmas tree and all that kind of stuff. But I want to say to the children who are in here that are usually in the back, I'm cool with Rudolph, okay? I like Rudolph. i tell you what drives me crazy is the songs that get the, the, the message of Christmas wrong. One such song that misses the point is Let There Be Peace on Earth, which is a beautiful song, by the way, but it just misses the point. John and his family this morning did a great job of telling us what peace really is. Look at, think about these words though, from Let There Be Peace on Earth and Let It Begin With Me. Let there be peace on earth, the peace that was meant to be. Now, so far, it's not too bad. 
theologically, although we could, we could pick at it a little bit. We're called to be peacemakers. We are called to live as much as is possible in peace with all human beings. But in Luke 12, Jesus said that he didn't come to bring peace. He came to bring a sword and even to divide families. His point was that when someone in the family decides to follow Jesus, it very well may make the other so angry that they begin to persecute the person who is following Jesus. So to pray that I might be the instrument of bringing all peace to all earth that God intended is a bit naive. It is in fact to confuse the two kingdoms that we have contemplated for several weeks. The kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. You'll only be a part of the kingdom of God when God takes you out of the kingdom of this world and adopts you into His family through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And faith in Jesus means to believe that He died for your sins. And without His death, we have no hope of ever being acceptable to stand in God's presence. You don't hear about a whole lot about that particular message in this Christmas that we have come, become accustomed to in our land. So the beautiful expressions of peace that are um, promoted in this song that we're considering, but it begins on wobbly footing and then it goes badly wrong, even, as, even though the writer's doubt, intent is no doubt sincere and full of hope. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Let there be peace on earth. The peace that was meant to be. You can hear that melody in your mind, can't you? It's beautiful. Uh, your children's choral group may be practicing for this. Sometime in the school year they're going to do it. But it's a beautiful song, even as the lyrics go badly off the rails heading for disaster. With God as our Father, brothers all are we. Let me walk with my brother in perfect harmony. So who is my brother and my sister in Christ? Everybody who is alive on the earth. Is that who my brother and sister is? I, I would like to think so. I really would. I want it to be that way. But the New Testament unequivocally states that it is only those who belong to Jesus. I, I think Vince Gill and his version tries to sneak it up a little bit and say, if God is our Father, brothers are we. And then that, that makes indeed <clears throat> the song more correct theologically. But what's wrong with the desire that we walk in peace with all people in the world? I mean, should we all strive for peace? Of course we should. We've been talking about it all. We need to do everything that we can, but... Others are not going to live always in peace with us. When you think that Scripture, you, you would think that Scripture shares such a sentiment that everyone will walk in peace. After all, look at what Luke 2.14, which is a part of our text this morning, says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what the song states, right? Both the angel's birth announcement and the songs that we have just thought about seem to express this same sentiment. Peace on earth, let everybody be at peace. 
That's the way you have heard Luke 2.14 quoted most of your life. You should know that this translation is from the King James Version. It's not that the translation is wrong, but the modern translations give the fuller expression of the Greek text. Look at the NIV. Glory to God in the highest, highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now that's a little bit of a different feel, isn't it? First it says, peace on earth, goodwill toward all men. Then it's on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. It's not that peace comes to every single person who lives on the earth, but peace comes to those on whom God's favor rests. Does it remind you of Genesis 6 when it talks about, the Lord is talking about Noah and it says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Here's the ESV, the translation we use most often at Grace Community Church. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So how can the modern translations be so different from the King James Version? Do you really want to know? It has to do with whether or not you choose to translate anthropois eutychius as an accusative or as in the genitive case. Okay, I think that's enough. Let's just pray and go home. No, let's don't. Let's read our text, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. This beautiful account of Jesus' birth. The angels, Jesus' birth, the account, then the birth announcement, and the reaction of those who heard the good news. I'll be reading from the ESV and English Standard Version, so that will give you an idea of where I stand on how this verse ought to be translated. As is our custom, I'll ask you if you would to please stand as the scripture is read. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, no coincidence, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them, no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone round around them. I keep wanting to go to the King James. Shone round about them. Shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, 
the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told concerning the child. Told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Father, this is a wonderful, wonderful story of great news. Not just good news, it is surpassingly wonderful, incredible, great news for those who believe. And we pray that even as we stop and just reflect this morning, that indeed we might ponder these things in our heart. Lord, teach us the things that you want us to know this morning. May our hearts rejoice with the shepherds that Jesus has come. And may we anticipate his return. We look forward to that day and we pray these things in the name of the one who came to earth to die for our sins and was raised again. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you and be seated. Twice a month at Grace Community Church, we participate in the Lord's Supper at the Lord's table. And on the first Sunday of the month, we come forward to receive the elements. We'll talk through that in a little bit. The third Sunday, we'll be staying in our seats and passing the elements. Just wanted to give you a little bit of a heads up. We used to do this only on the first Sunday. Now it's first and third. Don't want you to be confused, but it, it won't be any problem understanding the rhythms of uh, our new schedule. For the moment, let's, let's talk about the peace that is available to all who believe, who will believe in the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord who was born in Bethlehem and who would eventually die as a sacrifice for sin, which was the price required by a holy God for sin and for sinners. The good news of salvation is always preceded by bad news, the bad news of our sin. And so it is that bad news precedes the good news as we focus on five thoughts from our text, beginning with this. Fear is the enemy of all who live. Now, most of you are not going to have trouble agreeing with that. But it's true, even if you've got a bumper sticker on your car that says, ain't scared. You, you're, it's true. You are scared. If you're not, you will be at some point. What was the first emotion that Adam and Eve experienced when their eyes were open and they realized their own sin? It may have been guilt, but there was a healthy dose of fear that accompanied their guilt. When God asked Adam, 
Where are you? He replied, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid afraid because I was naked and I hid. Do you remember the kind of relationship that God and Adam and Eve had before sin? It doesn't specifically tell us what happened, but we infer that, that, there, that Adam and, and, and God and then Adam and Eve communed with God in the garden, that they enjoyed untainted fellowship. Adam had never known fear before sin, just the blessed presence of his Creator who was goodness and love and light and peace. But everything changed when Adam sinned. From that time forward, fear would plague humanity, even more so after Cain murdered Abel. And we all, like Adam and Eve, try to cover and protect ourselves from God's wrath. Now, we're constantly trying to protect ourselves from other people or things that will cause us fear, like losing our job or bad health or whatever. We do everything we can to protect ourselves. But especially, we, we, we seek to protect ourselves against God's holy and justified wrath toward our sin. Like Adam and Eve, we make excuses for our sin. We blame it on other people and we sow fig leaves. We're trying desperately to cover ourselves and say, I'm not so bad. I'm okay. When God revealed himself to people, anytime God revealed himself to people in the Old and New Testaments, after Genesis 3, whether it was through a theophany, like God revealed himself to Moses in the, in the burning bush, and Jesus revealed himself to Isaiah in the temple, or whenever God would send his angels to speak with someone on earth, the response always included fear that was of the nothing else matters, I hope I don't die kind of variety. People were scared to death and expected, in fact, many times they just expected to die. That's why the angels constantly when they came, you see it over and over in these first few chapters of Luke and Matthew, when the angels were coming to to Zechariah and Joseph and Mary and all, they're like, don't be afraid. And I'm sure the response was like something like, easy for you to say, you know, I'm afraid. Fear is natural for us. Because we're sinful human beings. And when we're in the presence of pure righteousness, the holiness of God or His angels, no wonder we're afraid. John mentioned peace in our land. I think it was John David, someone talked about peace in our land after the election. Are you surprised with the lack of peace in our country after the election? I'm not, really. I mean, frankly, we've been heading this way for a long time. Peace is not the word that readily jumps to one's mind when asked to describe the state of men and women's hearts in the United States these days. If peace on earth, goodwill toward men ever had a chance in this world, I think it ended with the 24-hour news, 24 news cycle. Actually, peace on earth in the manner most think the angel was describing is not possible as long as the kingdom of this world is fighting against the kingdom of God for dominance. 
The word of peace given in Luke 2 is a word of salvation. That leads us to our second point of focus. God's word reveals his salvation in Christ. But not all will hear. Luke 2, 11, the angels gave the word of the Lord to the shepherds, saying, For unto you is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You know what's significant about that verse? You, you probably wouldn't have picked this up, and I wouldn't either. I, I, I saw it in, in my study. It's the only time anywhere in the New Testament that the word Savior, or these three titles, Savior, Christ, Lord, are used together. So it's a big deal at his announcement, isn't it? The birth announcement. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Messiah. And he is God. Clearly the peace that is promised in verse 14 is wrapped up in this baby who is King, King Jesus. Later in his life, Jesus will talk about Fear, and he will say, look, you shouldn't be fearful of those who can just harm the body. You know who you need to be fearful of? Those who can harm the body and separate you eternally from God. In other words, fear God. God's promise of peace comes to those with whom he is pleased. With whom is God pleased? The short answer from the New Testament is that Jesus, God is pleased with those who repent of their sins and who believe that Jesus saved them by dying for them, taking God's wrath upon himself against sinners, the, the wrath that was, that was just right focused towards sinners, taking that wrath upon himself and rising from the dead three days later. According to his promise, he will come again for his children. So the short answer, that's the short answer, believe it or not, is that he is pleased with those who believe Jesus. The fuller answer, which is shorter than the short answer, is that God is pleased with his elect. The Greek term anthropois eudikias, which I referenced earlier, and I know you already knew. I don't, I, you don't need to hear this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. It was a first century euphemism found within Judaism that was used to designate... God's elect. Look, I didn't want to talk about this this morning. Really didn't. I felt strongly that this is the text I ought to be preaching from. And when I went to the text, it won't let me talk about anything else. This is the peace, peace that comes to those with whom God is pleased. And who is he pleased with? Those that he chooses to be his children. Now, when you don't, the debates that we want to have about that doctrine this day, they didn't have in the first century. Because anybody that said, anybody that was told you're chosen by God to be his child was ecstatic. It's like, thank you so much. You know what a big deal it was to be a Roman citizen? It meant a lot to people who, who were said, God chose you to be in his family. I can't be a Roman citizen, but I can be so much more. I am a member of God's family. So, the ones with whom he is pleased are the ones on whom he poured out his favor. It referred specifically to Israel. And that is primarily what the angels were proclaiming. God's good news to his people Israel. But remember, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. He later wrote the book of Acts. 
And in the book of Acts, he tells the story of how the gospel went to Gentiles. It went to the entire earth. Everybody gets to believe in Jesus. Who hears the good news? Everyone who hears the good news is called upon to receive this good news as being true for them. According to or as being true, period. And then they are adopted into the family. According to, to, to his promise, he's going to come again for his children. So, I actually went back up from where I was. So, let's, let me get back to where I'm supposed to be. Uh, if you were a follower of Jesus, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, he's pleased with you. Because when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. And he's pleased with his son. So he is pleased with you. What is an appropriate response to this good news? Rejoice! That's a, just like the, 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 the disciples did or the shepherds did. They rejoice. God's word to his people often brings fear at first. But it, then it turns to joy. That's... Why I say sometimes that the seeds of joy are embedded in the, in the act of repentance. When you repent, you might be saying, oh God, I've done a horrible thing. But there's joy in your heart that just builds and you're like, I'm not, I don't think I'm supposed to be feeling. Yes, you are. God forgives you. It's not that you could keep that sin away. It's not that you should do better. Yes, you should do better. But thank God for His forgiveness. And the more you're grateful to Him, the more likely you are to do better. So let's think a little bit more about the peace that is offered to God's elect. Peace with God is only found in Jesus. The angels announce Jesus as Savior, Messiah, and God. He brings peace to those who believe. Now, remember, who was... When the angels gave this announcement, who were, who, what group comprised God's elect? The Jewish nation. But Jesus' greatest opponents were who? The leaders of the Jewish nation. The religious leaders of the Jewish nation. God's covenant people. Toward the end of his ministry, Jesus repeatedly pronounced judgment on those who rejected him. Their status as religious people didn't guarantee them eternal life. And clearly, when we look at that, it is not good works that make us worthy of heaven. When we cover or justify our sins so that we can make ourselves worthy of heaven, <coughs> we're not making ourselves presentable to God. We're just kidding ourselves. You ever done that you've gone through a period of time where you've just been kidding yourself about something and then when finally you wake up it's like oh my I wish long time ago your pride kept you from realizing what you needed to know what a horrible day it's going to be for those who think that they're making themselves worthy before the Lord. Throw yourself on Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. Like Martin Luther was told by his spiritual advisor. Cry out and say, save me Christ, I'm yours. Save me Jesus, I'm yours. You remember what Adam and Eve did when their eyes were open to their sin, right? They sowed the fig leaves 
to cover themselves. But after God had pronounced the consequences of Adam's sin, He promised a descendant who would reverse the curse, the one who would crush the head of the serpent who had tempted them. And then He said, look, these fig leaves aren't going to do. And He made clothes for them out of skins, animal skins. We're not told what animal it was. Have you ever thought about that in Genesis 3? Where those skins came from? From an animal. Right from the get-go, it was understood that blood was the requirement. Life was a requirement for sin. Someone dying. And so the animal, we're not told what animal was used, but it's got to be a lamb, right? I mean, you would think. The only way we can have the peace that is announced in our text is through Christ. And when God looks at us, He is pleased. That's what the angels anticipated when they said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Glory to God indeed. There's more to say about our praise though. Peace comes to simple witnesses. And they are compelled to tell what has been made known to them. Some scholars are convinced that shepherds were despised in the first century. And that their testimony was inadmissible in court. I, that's not what my study led me to conclude this time. They, whatever, ever how you look at it, they were simple witnesses. And unlikely recipients of this great news. Especially unlikely witnesses. But they had no choice. These simple men hurried to Bethlehem to see the things that had told them. And when they had seen it, they couldn't contain their joy. They were telling everybody about this wonderful word of salvation wrapped up in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. How can we do less when we have this incredible news? I may have given... A bad impression at first by picking apart that song. Don't say, that's just heresy, that song. That's... Use it as an opportunity to say, peace, that's pretty cool. What do you think the angel was talking about? Peace on earth, goodwill to men. And it gives you an opportunity. Just take the opportunity. It doesn't seem like a whole lot of peace these days. But whatever you do, share the good news. And remember... Jesus will come again. We've talked about it all morning. It's the last focus, the last point. Ultimate peace will prevail at Jesus' second advent. When we think about advent, our tendency is almost always to think about Jesus coming the first time. But liturgically, on the church calendar, advent is designed to focus our attention as much on the future and Jesus' second coming as it is on the first David, we sang uh, Joy to the World, and he mentioned that this is really about the second advent. Isaac Watts wrote it, probably as a post-millennialist, anticipating that they were going to usher in the kingdom of the Lord. But he did not think about Jesus' first coming. He was thinking about the second coming of Christ when he wrote that song, Joy to the World, the Savior Reigns. Because Jesus will reign when He comes back the next time. And as much as we long for peace among nations and within nations, we anticipate the day when all men and women will rejoice in the King of Kings. 
And even though we have peace in our hearts, the peace that, that the ten brings read about a good deal, still it's a troubled world and that troubles us, which is why I thought a lot about the, the, the verse that Brady uh, quoted, John 16, 13, In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You can have peace in me because I have overcome the world. Nonetheless, we long for the day when all tears are wiped away and no hint of disquietude will play at the edges of our minds. That day will become a reality when Jesus comes again and our hearts anticipate that day. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Let's pray. Father, there are so many things that trouble our lives and keep us from peace. But Lord, if we don't have peace in our hearts, it is not your fault. You have offered it in multiple layers. Lord, if there are those here today who have never known the peace of forgiveness in Jesus, I pray that this would be the day that they would cry out, Have mercy on me, Lord, I'm a sinner. Save me, Jesus. Thank you for your death on the cross. Lord, for those who already know you and through Jesus Christ and who have the joy of being called children of God. Help us, Lord, to remember the main thing, to keep the main thing the main thing, and to recognize that our lack of peace is often like Adam and Eve, an attempt to cover up or to protect or to justify, excuse our sin. May we find peace in Christ, regardless of our circumstances. And Lord, as we come to this table, really we could call it, well, we call it what you call it, the Lord's table. But it's a table of peace. It's a table where we remember what Jesus did for us that we might have life. And so, Father, we thank you for what you have done. And may our hearts rise in response. Gratitude for what you have done. Anticipation for the Lord's second coming. And as we participate according to your word in the body and blood of Christ, so we don't know what it means. We pray that our hearts would be nourished with this meal. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask the elders and deacons and the worship team to come forward. Um,
We're going to be served in the front, and then we will uh, begin calling you to the front and serving you. We'll come in down these interior aisles, uh, and then we'll go back up the middle or up, up the ends uh, of the aisles, the very end aisles. You can partake up front, or you can take both the bread and the fruit of the vine, which is grape juice, and the bread is gluten-free if you need to know that, and it is important, I know, to some of you. Um, then take it back to your seats and just contemplate, consider the body and the blood of Christ, and then partake of the bread and the juice. Um, Matthew 26 It was all, all of Jesus' birth, all of the announcement, all of the anticipation was heading toward this time. Luke tells us that Jesus said, I have eagerly desired to eat this meal with you. Because Jesus understood how important it was. As much as he loved those disciples, they had no hope of eternal life apart from his death and resurrection. And as he <clears throat> ate the meal with them, he said this, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the, this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And that's what we look forward to. We anticipate Christ's death or return. We, we remember His death and we anticipate His return as we gather at this table. We certainly want to invite all of you who are baptized believers, baptized followers of Jesus Christ to participate in this meal with us. Uh, if you were not a believer, you can just stay at your seat or you can just pass when you come up here. Don't take of the, the juice and the bread. Far rather you do that than to pretend. One of the things we've been talking about today is don't pretend about a relationship with Christ. Be serious about it. But if you were a believer, you may have been scared so badly when you've come to the Lord's table in some churches that you say, oh, I might have sinned last week and I better not. Look, this is about forgiveness. Repent. Repentance is, is a part of our lives day in and day out for the believer. Just say, God, forgive me for my sin. But I've done it a hundred times and I might do it again. Yeah, he knows that. He provided for that. He said, when your brother comes to you, how many times should you forgive? Seven times 70? I think he's not going to hold himself to less of a standard than he holds us. He will forgive you. Come in repentance and expectation and gratitude in your hearts. As 1 Corinthians tells us, we should examine our hearts. So we're going to take just a moment of silent prayer. And then I'll pray and bless this time together. So if you would, just pray silently. And if you need to confess, do so. And God readily immediately forgives you in Christ.
Jesus, when we think about your crucifixion, our hearts are immediately drawn to the, the cruelty of the beating and the cat of nine tails and, and carrying the cross and the blood and then the horrors of crucifixion. The, the excruciating pain is nails were driven through key nerves and feet and hands and wrists and and we think about that it was nothing compared to what was endured as the wrath of God was poured out for our sin in the resurrection the father accepted the sacrifice lord we are grateful as we come to this table and we partake of the bread and the juice to be one with Christ we are united with him and he is united with us and we are knit together at this table as a body we give thanks in Jesus name amen For the benediction, we're going to Isaiah 9. And I'd like for you to note a few things. It's right for us to be in the Advent season, focusing and acknowledging hope and peace and what God has done. And in the book of Isaiah, it's to simplify it, broken down into three segments. The first segment before the nation of Israel is put into exile, they are looking for earthly security. So there is something for us to be found in that. And when we read the scripture, we see clearly in retrospect that he is speaking and the word is talking about the coming of Jesus. And so we read that with that, that in mind. We go to Isaiah 9, verses 6 and on. For us to, for un, excuse me, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And all God's people said, Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.